the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure. Today is Tuesday, June the 2nd, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on June 2nd, 1941, baseball's iron horse, Lou Gehrig, he died of in New York of a degenerative disease. It's now known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It has another biological name. But he was 37 years old. Lou Gehrig was one of my favorite players. Of course, I wasn't uh, aware of much on June 2nd, 1941, but I knew about him, and I uh, had two or three of his baseball cards, and I used to carry around those in my pocket. I didn't know they'd become valuable someday as collector's items, so they all had kind of dog ears, and they were kind of worn out because me and my friends would get them out, and we'd trade them and look at them and so on, but Lou Gehrig was one of the great baseball players. Today in 1886, President Grover Cleveland, he was 49, he married Frances Fulman, uh, Folsom. She was 21 in the Blue Room, the White House. To date, that's the only wedding, uh, presidential wedding, that has taken place in the executive mansion. Today in 1897, Mark Twain. Mark Twain was often quoted. Well, this is one of those quotes, and here's how it happened. He was quoted by the New York Journal as saying from London that the report of my death has been greatly exaggerated. Twain was responding to a report in the New York Herald that he was grievously ill and possibly died. The press is still doing those kinds of things. I'll talk about that a little later today. They're always implying things that may not be true. That's why we need to keep an eye on them and be discerning. Today in 1924, Congress passed. President Coolidge signed a measure guaranteeing full American citizenship for all Native Americans born within U.S. territorial limits. Today, 1953, Queen Elizabeth II, she took uh, place, her uh, coronation took place in London's Westminster Abbey. That was 16 months after the death of her father. Her father was King George VI, as you probably know. Today, in 1976, the Arizona Republic uh, newspaper, an investigative reporter there, Don Bowles, was mortally wounded by a bomb that was planted under his car. He died 11 days later, but prosecutors believe that Bowles was targeted because he had written stories that upset a liquor wholesaler. However, other inquiries find that it was much more than a single liquor wholesaler. Three men were convicted of the killing. Today, in 1979, Pope John Paul II arrived in his native Poland. It was the first trip, first visit by a pope to a communist country. I spent time in Poland during those communist-dominated years. That gave me an education about communism, I can tell you for sure, particularly as it relates to the church. It doesn't relate to the church, and that was the problem. Today, in 1997, Timothy McVeigh was convicted of murder and conspiracy, the 1995 bombing of the 
federal building in Oklahoma City. We all remember that, I'm sure. 168 people died. McVeigh was executed in June of 2001. That's some of the things that's happened in our world today. There's much going on, as you know. If you've seen any piece of the news, you know that our world is in chaos. The Lord says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows them that trust in him. Nahum, the prophet, a minor prophet, he wrote that in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. We live in a day of trouble. God is our stronghold. He reaffirms that every time we open our Bible and begin to read. This is one of those verses that tells us the storms are raging. God is good. God is our stronghold, and he knows what's going on because God is in control. There's so much denial in our world. It's just amazing. As I watch the news, it's like a flood. It's like looking into the end of a fire hose. It's coming out. It's just, I mean, it's just sweeping the nation, the, the, the news and the headlines. And so many of the headlines are misleading. In fact, most all of them are misleading if you take the time to read the story. You don't have time to read all of them. I know I don't, but I read a lot. On television, it's the same. There's so much deception. This Errol Lewis is on one of the local New York stations and uh, television stations. It's one of the networks. I can't remember which one it is. But he was interviewing the, the mayor of New York, de Blasio, last night. And he asked the question. He said, I'm quoting him, to the mayor himself. He said, is the mayor of New York in control of the city at this point? Looting is burning, going on all over New York, as it is all across the country, from New York to Seattle. De Blasio didn't like the question, and he said, Earl, I mean, respectfully, I appreciate that this is your provocative question, but it's quite clear. We're having an issue in one part of the city. Overwhelmingly, the city right now has been peaceful throughout. I've been all over the city the last few days, overwhelmingly peaceful. I'm quoting him, overwhelmingly peaceful, even though we're in the middle of a profound coronavirus crisis, economic crisis, overwhelmingly peaceful. He said, the NYPD is doing a great job keeping the peace all over the city. Now, if you've seen any pictures today, many of them, they're from all over, but many of them are from New York City. That is not the picture of peacefulness, and it's not from just one part of the city. Now, my point is not to tell you how bad New York is, but it's simply to point out the deception. Every line that drips out of the media, every line that drips through the news media is slanted. Much of it is just totally biased and deceptive. Last night in Soho, that's an upscale area of New York, looters grabbed $2.4 million million of Rolex watches from one store, and then they broke out all the windows. And they moved to the next store. That's one area, one store, 2.4 million. Four rioters in another part of the city rushed a cop last night. A group gathered around the four that were rushing, attacking personally the cop, 
and began taunting the cop. They didn't even try to intervene. The the New York Times has become so sympathetic to the rioters that the left now, de Blasio and others, Como and others, uh, the governor, are now calling out the New York Times and saying, hey, I thought you were on our side. Why are you printing these headlines? It's amazing. Macy's flagship store, the one that's in the movie, Macy's flagship store in downtown New York City, not near these other crimes. This is a different part of the city. It was looted last night, and a crowd gathered outside and were clapping and cheering like in a football game. The Lord is good, a stronghold, a day of trouble. And he knows those who trust him. Seattle Council Member Tammy Morales was in the national news this morning. Yesterday, she said, this is Seattle's own Tammy Morales. She said, I just can't understand why looting bothers people so much. (laughs) Well, because stealing has traditionally been wrong. In fact, Tammy, it's been illegal. She was speaking at a session of the Seattle Council yesterday. It wasn't something she made a statement she made in private. She said, what I don't at the council meeting, what I don't, what I don't want to hear is for our constituents to to be told to be civil, not to be reactionary, to be told that looting doesn't solve anything. It does make me wonder and ask the question, why looting bothers people so much more than knowing that across the country, black men and women are dying every day and far too often at the hands of those who are sworn to protect and serve them. So as long as there's oppression, then stealing isn't wrong and looting isn't wrong and destroying property isn't wrong. It's just, this is a profile of people who do not have an anchor, who do not stand on or are not building their life on the rock. And this is the, this is what, preachers need to be aware of and need to be speaking to today in our culture. And I am an ordained minister, so I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about us. We need to be addressing these issues because these issues are not ultimately racial. They're ultimately spiritual. We've lost our way. We have no bearing. We have no sense of direction. We don't know north from south, up from down, morally. Because progressivism has seeped into the very soul of America. And here we are today, elected leaders in major cities, standing up telling their constituents, the nation, and the world that all values, all principles are relative. We don't know that stealing is wrong. I mean, it's right if you're oppressed. It's only wrong if you're not oppressed, or if you happen to be blessed and have more than someone else. This is crazy stuff, I'll tell you. Somebody takes a stand, and they get attacked. Associated Press feature story this morning. Five months, I'm quoting from Associated Press this morning, their featured story. It's all over the place. It'll be in the Seattle Times before you finish breakfast this morning and other uh, other papers as well across the country. 
Five months before Election Day, Associated Press says, the president made clear that he would stake his re-election efforts on convincing voters that his strong-arm approach was warranted to quell the most intense civil unrest since the 1960s. He made little effort to address the grievous uh, the grievances of black Americans and others outraged by F- George Floyd's death and the scourge of police brutality undermining what his campaign had hoped would be increased appeal to African-American voters. Associated Press continues. The scene in and around the White House on Monday, the, yesterday, Monday night, appeared to be carefully orchestrated. As the crowd of protesters grew, Attorney General William Barr arrived in Lafayette Park to look over at the demonstrations and the swarm of law enforcement. Associated Press continues, the next paragraph. The sudden shift in tactics against the protesters was initially a a mystery. Then, after finishing his Rose Garden remarks, Trump emerged from the White House gates and walked through the park at St. John's Church, where an office had been set on fire the previous night. Trump, who rarely attends church, held up a Bible and gathered a group of advisors, all white, to pose for photos. That story, there's more to it, but that's the essence of the story. That story will be read by hundreds of millions of people around the world today. And that story is saying that because the president of the United States, as imperfect as he is, this isn't even about Trump. The fact that he walked across the street and held up a Bible trying to show that what was important and show solidarity with the Christian community is being damned by the uh, Associated Press today. If that doesn't bother you, it should, because that's what's wrong with America. The church has failed. We haven't spoken to the issues. And now we learn that the United Methodist Church, (laughs) oh, we knew it was planning to split, I've talked about it on this program a number of times. But now we know that the split in the United Methodist Church, the split is over whether to condone homosexuality or not condone it, with the further implication of ordaining ministers who are lesbian and homosexual. They've been debating this for some time. Why is there a debate on this? The Bible is abundantly clear. If you're not going to follow the Bible, why debate it? Just go make up a religion somewhere. If you're going to follow the Bible, it it isn't debatable. Stealing is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. A whole bunch of things God says don't do. It's destructive. It will kill a culture. It will kill an individual. I mean, why do we need debate for years? But anyway, the United Methodist, and I kind of like the conservative core of the Methodist Church. I'll be honest with you. I... I've read a lot of of what they've written. John Wesley, I have a whole volume of books of his sermons in my library, along with others, you know, Calvin and Luther and all all of them. But I kind of like those guys. I mean, I think they're trying to wiggle free of a of a cancer that's a, that's attached itself to their denomination. I mean, that's my personal view. So they've been talking about this for a long time. But why do we have to talk about it? Why don't we go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if it works, then it's great. And if it doesn't work, then it's just some ordinary man's idea or whatever. The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks for itself. We don't, I mean, we should defend it, but we don't have to prove 
the gospel itself proves that it is the power of God and the salvation. When you preach the gospel, people are convicted. When you preach the gospel, people are changed. When you preach the gospel, people are restored to Christ. And they find a new life in Jesus Christ when they accept him as their personal Savior. America was founded on that principle. The people, the the pastors, the preachers of that time were very direct. The colonial pulpit began with men like Joseph Cotton, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Dr. John Witherspoon. He was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Samuel Watts, Patrick Henry, Jonas Clark, Peter Mullenberg. Peter Mullenberg was so committed to the revolution because he believed that God was leading America to do something great for the kingdom of God. He was so committed to it, he preached a sermon on a Sunday morning. He was a Lutheran. He preached, in fact, his father was kind of the organizer of the Lutheran church here in America. They were not the Lutheran church you hear about now, I'll tell you for sure. They weren't debating what was right and wrong biblically. He stood up and preached his sermon from Ecclesiastes about there is a time for everything, and when he got to the verse that says there is a time for war, you know what that pastor did, Mullenberg? He stepped from behind the pulpit. He preached his sermon from the Word of God, the Bible. It was a biblical sermon. I, I have a copy of it. Then he stepped out from behind the pulpit, and he took off his clerical robe, and underneath that he had on a military uniform, and he said, God has called me to join the revolution because this is God's will that we separate from the King of England. And he said, I am walking out of this church today to join George Washington and fight this war. How many of you men will stand up and follow me and put your family life, your personal life, your business life on hold for a while and fight for a just cause? And he walked out the door. 200 men stood up and followed him out the door and went off to war. I'm not advocating war. I'm advocating having principles that you can live by and act on. And we have these elected people sitting all over from Seattle to New York, slobbering all over themselves, and they're telling the media, what's wrong with looting if you've been oppressed? That's the problem with Seattle. If you drive through downtown, it's like every other city. If you can get through the encampment of the homeless people that cannot be dealt with because they don't know how. The gospel speaks to every part of the human existence. And so the Methodist Church now was planning to split in May last month. That's been interrupted. <laughs> they can't do it because they can't meet because of rioting. They were going to meet in Minneapolis. I wouldn't want to even visit Minneapolis, much much less hold a, a week-long conference there. But anyway, they can't meet now. So everything has changed for them. They've been interrupted. And in the last half of this program this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about interruptions in life. 2020 was scheduled to be the year that the United Methodists from around the world, there's a lot of them, a lot of them in Africa. And the African voices, I've spent a lot of time in Africa, and it's it's close to my heart. I, the Christians there are tremendous. I, I mean, they're just terrific people. I've been with them. I haven't lived there, but I've been in and out of there, and I've spent a week or two at a time a lot over a period of time. They're terrific people. Man, they love the Lord. and I mean, they're all in. Kenya, Mozambique, all over the place. And uh, a lot of them are Methodists. 
I worked with some of the Methodists there and some of the other churches as well, but they're they're committed. I mean, they've seen the worst of the worst, and they're committed. And they're the ones that are kind of holding the, the Methodist church to their founding doctrines, which are just biblical doctrine. But anyway, the Methodists have, from around the world, was they were scheduled to meet last month. And, of course, the coronavirus, the riots, everything now has changed all that. The coronavirus was particularly responsible for the for them putting it off. But they had a planned split for the United Methodists, and it's probably a good thing. I mean, I, I hate to see that happen any time personally, but it's probably the right thing to do because the homosexuals are relentless. They, they will not let their church just stand on the Word of God. They've got to revise the Scripture so they can affirm and condone their behavior. And that's true in every case when you see homosexual activists. They're always, they will always end up on that note, whereas the Bible says, whether it was Ed Murray, the former mayor of Seattle who was out because he was abusing young boys or whatever it is, they always end up with making a moral case for their behavior. And God says, no, I don't condone that. And I oppose that, and I'm telling you not to do that. It's very simple in Scripture, as so much is, in how we ought to live. The interruption, the interruption, as I said, was was not expected. It was expected that the Methodist Church, particularly the gay activists in the church, They'd been working for the day that they could set aside old norms and beliefs. Hillary Clinton, while she was running for president, even spoke to that. She said, we've got to, we've got to let go of old norms and codes, she said, and she's a Methodist. She says she's a lifetime, she grew up going to Sunday school at a Methodist church. Well, the Methodist church has become something very different than it was probably when she was going to school, because she's not a teenager when she was going to church. But I will tell you that that the Methodists, there is that group within them that have held to, strongly held to, the founding principles. But every time these activists want to revise or reaffirm or insert tolerance or equality or equity, as they now call it, every time, it always comes back to Scripture. And that's the case here. Biblical conservatives within the church who hold that what the Bible actually says about behavior, that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, preached and taught, and they've said that they're not going to revise Scripture to accommodate the culture. United Methodist Book of Discipline says homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. It prohibits same-sex marriages, the ordination of non-celibate homosexuals. That's what their church law says, and it's based on the Bible, and it's correct. The venue now has been set off to 2021. It's a conference at the Minneapolis Convention Center, which was the original venue for this year. But it's now late in the year, next year, 2021. I noticed I noticed that the conference they had in 2019, they featured on a big screen at the front, there were looked like several thousands of people there. On this big screen, they had this symbol of the Methodist Church. It's like the fire of the Holy Spirit and a cross. You've seen their, you've seen their symbol. I'm not a Methodist, but I, I, I as I said, I've 
been close to some of them over the years, and I have a respect for what they were and how they came about and what they could be, I think. But they had on this big screen, it says, and the theme of the convention was, Jesus is Lord. And then under that, it said, come Holy Spirit. I thought, wow, that's a powerful statement. But would that be kind of the banner over a conference that is deliberating whether the church should condone something that God does not condone? No wonder our culture is so screwed up. But anyway, they're going to take that up next year. The response to the interruption, of course, the gay, and they're very organized in the church, the gay organization within the church is they're broken they're they're they they're taking it personally it's it's horrible and so on but the biblical methodists from everything i've read they're pretty resolute and they said yeah this had to happen we're not kicking the can down the road just to put this off we're going to deal with this but we can't do it this year and they can't i mean really they're going to accept a 25 million dollar settlement and the the homosexual activists are going to take over the other part of the church, the existing United Methodist part of the church that has hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate. So these people are paying a price, the Methodists who are standing by what the Methodist church once was, biblically, they're getting $25 million. I mean, $25 million is a lot of money, but it's not a lot in relation to the amount of property that's owned that the other side, the, the homosexual side, will get. Reconciling Ministries is one of the pro-LGBTQ organizations that's working within the church. They're saying, uh, as a movement, we, take, we took a deep breath. The harm is immense, the leader of that group within the church says. She's asking for a moratorium on the ban of homosexuality. She said, can't we just say, well, we've agreed to disagree, so we'll go ahead and practice homosexuality until we can have our meeting next year. And the other side is saying, no, we're not going to do that. It costs to stand up. It costs to take a stand. But the Methodist Church is poised. And remember, if you care, that we talked about that this, this morning. The Methodist Church is poised to become a dynamic once they separate themselves from the sin that weighs them down now, and they know it. Once they separate themselves and they join the Wesleyan Covenant Association of Churches is going to join them, they too are biblical, they're poised to make a huge impact because they say their new, their 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 sole purpose is to carry out the great commission of Jesus Christ, the power of God, the gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Methodists are saying, once we separate ourselves from all of this other stuff, particularly homosexual behavior, it's unbelievable. But that is the issue. They said, we're going to fully address with all of our strength and might and resources to preach the gospel to every creature. God will bless that. You'll hear from that group, I'm telling you. But I want to leave you with this. Sometimes God interrupts our lives as he's interrupted this convention, set it off for a while. But interruptions are really life itself. C.S. Lewis spoke to that. He said the one great thing, if we can, is to stop regarding all unpleasant things as interruptions. He said that is life itself. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's always a pleasure. 
Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. If you want to be a part of this, please join us and help us. Thanks for being here. I'll see you right here tomorrow.